This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I hope you're well out there and you're surviving whatever catastrophe or chaos is going on around you. Thanks for joining me. The interview subject that I have prepared for you on this particular episode is from an outfit called 12 Gauge Rampage. His name is Glenn Hurry. 12 Gauge Rampage have an album due for release on August 5th, 2021 via Grindhead Records. It's called Unleash the Rage, and therein lies the catalyst for this conversation. So here he is, Glenn Hurry, the bassist in 12 Gauge Rampage. Things must be going well for you, Glenn. I mean, I, I haven't heard an album like this one here in, in a while. And I didn't, and, and from the perspective that I, uh, if Dicey didn't tell me the makeup of the group, you'd never pick it. So that must be something that that you uh, come across and people go, holy shit, this racket is made with a bass guitar. It's pretty crazy. Hey, I, don't know, I think it gets lost in a lot of people. Like if you listen to it, you wouldn't ever pick it up, you know. I mean, like it's, it is pretty, um, we've tried to, emulate a guitar without actually having a guitar so it's really been a focus for us but um you can pick it in certain tracks there's certain bits and pieces where you can just you know you kind of the way the bass resonates the way the tone rings out you can pick it up it's subtle Mm. i'm a bassist so i listen to these sorts of things and you're only the second band i've interviewed in almost 600 interviews at this point or it's not really interviews they're conversations but you know what i'm saying that has used a bass in the way that you are. The, the other band is uh, from the sunny coast called Mules. And he oh, has, right. uh, yeah, he has a setup where it more sounds like a Tom Morello thing going on. So it's not metal, but you guys right. are no bullshit, brutal grindcore. And I haven't heard it done this way. It's usually the opposite. Someone grabs a guitar like uh, Manta. Have you heard of Manta? No. So. I've probably slagged them a little too hard and in, in a review that I did in 2017 because he's kind of got that whole Tom G. Warrior thing going on with the guitar tone, but it right. misses the Martin Eric Ain plutonium heaviness that only the bass can bring because guitars just don't do it. But you seem to have solved, solved that riddle. So I'm not going to ask you to give away any trade secrets, but can you tell me as much as you can about how you concoct this sound? Oh, man, like when... Like I, I guess that's a, a bit of a loaded question, and to answer you honestly, I probably have to um, talk about the past the history of the band. And um, like basically, we started writing uh, our songs with a guitarist. Like the first maybe three or four tracks, we actually wrote with a guitarist, and um, he had to move in the state for family reasons, you know. And I love the guy, and there's there's absolutely no bad blood, and. Um, mm. But yeah, so he had to relocate. So we tried to replace him and it just didn't work out. We didn't find the right fit for our sound. We couldn't find the right bloke that we wanted to hang out with every, well, we practice a lot. So we're talking like three or four days a week. So um, I just sort of said to the guys like, you know what, I think I can do this with a bit of experimenting and um you know, we, we tried a lot of different pedals and amp combinations. I tried uh, like a, a few different uh, bass guitars, you know, like those um, half-scale basses. And so I guess it's been a lot of trial and error. 
but we got there and I will like we're pretty stoked with our sound now. Like it, it's pretty ripping. So but um yeah, I guess to answer your question, it was a lot of trial and error. Warwick wasn't exactly the first bass that came to mind, but I see that you play one. And I've played Warwick before and I've got to say it didn't suit my sound at all, but it, it obviously works for you. Yeah, Warwick, um, my dad is a bass player too, which is sort of what set me on the path of playing bass. And um, he played a Warwick thumb and my whole life I wanted a Warwick thumb and I got one maybe 12 months ago and it was, that was like a fucking milestone, I've got to tell you, like after one one since yeah. you're a little 12-year-old fella. And um, so the odd thing is like because I've, I've, I've played a few, I've played Fenders and like I've played all the generic brands. I've literally, you know, you name it, I've probably fucking fiddled on one at one stage. But um, for Warwick, it does the best because it's got that, that real, um, it's got that high-end tone, but it also holds the the low end down so when i'm doing what we're doing which is um pretty much just splitting the signal you know yeah it just yeah, resonates sure. so the sound works for us what's the is it a distortion pedal that you're using or is it something else completely nah, so basically what i'm running is um just to give you a like a shortened because i don't i don't want to give all much too much detail away because obviously mm -hmm. we've worked our ass off and we don't want people just to fucking rip us off mm -hmm. but um basically i'm running a a bass rig and two full um guitar stacks so, like, we're literally running three different heads simultaneously. Holy shit. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's a fucking wall of sound. Like, it, it, it is crazy. I'd love to see you guys live on that front then. It must just be one of those pulsating sounds from the audience perspective, do you think? Well, I'd like to think so, man. Like, like up until only a few months ago, I was only running one, like, guitar amp. Like, it's a, a Mesa triple rec, so it's fucking high gain. Like, oh, yeah. the, the thing rips yeah. ass. But um, well, I listened to some footage back of a gig that we did. Um, you're, where are you from, Andrew? Goldie, Gold Coast. Goldie. Uh, are you familiar with Frankie's Pizza? Like, a really... Um, Happening. Oh yeah, I, I follow them on uh, Instagram. Yeah, it's a sick venue, man. And um, so we played there, and I've listened to some footage back, and I, I thought that the sound sounded a little bit hollow, like the high end wasn't quite there. Mm. So um, that's when the the second guitar amp sort of come into play. So you know, one of them's obviously that really high end crunch, and the other one's got a bit more bottom to it. So the you know mm. we sort of added that extra layer to give it that extra um, bit of oomph. What do punters say to you when they say it's just a bass? Is there a bit of that that tenth beer? What are you guys doing? Where's the guitar? Yeah, not really, man. Like it's been so positive. Like it's mostly like, how the fuck do you do that? And um, mm. you know, I don't know. I just sort of, I'm pretty proud of that. It's pretty cool. But um, no, nah, it's mostly been positive feedback, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, it should be because. If you love grindcore and brutal grindcore, like um, uh, brutal truth sort of stuff, that's when you guys remind me of them a little. I mean, it's a different aesthetic. I get that, but in terms of the way I feel when I'm listening to the music, because it's an onslaught, man. Yeah. It is. But I mean, if you like this music, that's what you want. That's the whole point. Like, if you want a good curry, you want hot curry, right? That's you exactly want, right. You want grindcore. You want it to be as brutal as possible before the song just starts turning into some crusty bullshit, but you've managed to straddle that divide and always remain, and here's the important point, in my humble opinion, a heavy metal band. 
Fuck yeah, dude. Thank you. That's really kind. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard to do, man. As I say, I'm a muso and I get it and I've written plenty of stuff and you, you, you it takes a while. I'll ask you, I'll actually frame this as a question. Did it take you a while to hone not your sound, but what you wanted to sound like? There you go. No, that was the goal from the start. We wanted to be heavy, fast, brutal in your face. Like we wanted to shred cunt's face off. I'm sorry, I just dropped a C bomb. Nah, say uh, shit, cunt, fucking everything else you want on my show, brother. My boy, all right. Um, <laughs> no, as, as I was saying, uh, we, we set out to just be fucking heavy and be relentless. And, you know, we, we want when we play live because we we're a live band we want people to come and drink beers with us and have fun and we yes. want them to kill each other in the pit and then have a fucking beer with each other five minutes later you know like that's mm. the feel of our band that's what we're set out to do i'd say without having seen you live that it's mission accomplished on that front but uh let's let's talk about this video that you've got out there because it is is it your first video this one here killed my cars in covid yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. our debut. So it's about a fella that's struggling to make ends meet. But I've got to be frank, mate. The sad thing is the opening 30 seconds is probably true for thousands of households across Australia. So is this something yeah. that's pretty close to home for you? A bit. We really wanted to capture what was going on in society at the moment, you know. And, you know, it was 12 months ago that we, we sort of started recording that track and that I wrote that song. and But mm. it wasn't... Um, it, you know, it, it's funny. It's sort of come full swing, and now we're going through the same shit here in Sydney again. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But but we literally we were just trying to set out and capture what we were feeling, and and pretty much describe what we were going through at the time and what society was going through it as a whole. So um, that's why Jason sort of took it out on us. If you if you watch the clip, you know you've got like we're all in lockdown. I, I don't know if that comes across. That was what we tried to aim for. That we're oh, okay. all in lockdown. Yeah. We're yeah. all kind of doing what we were doing in that situation and then Jason sort of come along and um, kind of unleashed his rage on us. So we're, we're like society and he's taken it out on us, you know. People are fed up, mate. That's the thing. And you saw that with the protests that happened in Sydney. I mean, you know, 12 months earlier they were talking about how great it was that people were coming out. And I'm not holding any judgment here from a political perspective. I'm simply making the observation that the media absolutely supports Black Lives Matter and other types of rallies. But when it came to a rally for freedom, which is what that was about, they focused on the most negative aspects of it, a guy punching a horse, all of this sort of stuff. And they weren't focusing on people's disenfranchisement with fucking yeah. premiers who don't understand what regular people go through. Bro, I completely agree. Like, in a lot of ways, I agree 100%. And then in, in other ways, like, I sort of wish that protest would have been a little bit more managed because, I mean, all it's going to do is leave us in lockdown for longer. All that's going to happen as a repercussion is we're not going to have our live music and we're not going to be able to play our gigs and go on tours and, you know, Mm. All the stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning is now going to be further on hold. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a zero sum game. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. I'm sure regular listeners will know what my opinion is on the whole thing. But if you've got a zero yeah. sum game happening, we will never get out of lockdowns because, put simply, we will never have a situation where there are no community uh, tra transitions. Yeah, you're right. We have to learn happen. to to move on with it and live with it. And in, in a lot of senses, like maybe just let the fucking 
virus take its toll. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very hard because I'm down a hundred percent for people's freedoms and people's rights, and you know, like a hundred percent, I'm so down in that in that atmosphere. But there's also that whole fucking is it going to set us back another six months? You know, is it, are we going to be fucking locked in the houses for another fucking six months because of it? Mm. At the moment, I think. Insane. Well, yeah, I think at the moment in Sydney, it's a, it's late September, if I'm not mistaken. But I think that means truly it means October. I mean, you literally, I hate to say it, but it looks like you're going into a Victoria style lockdown. Yeah, it's fucking brutal, days, bro. It was. Like, we're we're meant to be on tour as of um, next week, so we've started to cancel shows already. You know, like we're meant to be in uh, in Adelaide next week, in Melbourne, and like a bunch of shows around Australia, and. Um, yeah, it's just sort of fucking put a bit of a stop to that. COVID by governments is being measured, or the impact of COVID by governments is being measured in rates of infection and deaths, whereas the actual long-term ramifications will be felt by society for a long time. And right now, heavy metal bands like you guys who you can't do your thing, we're now talking about there being a mental health epidemic because, men, you know as well as I do, man, us metal fans, we need this. Yeah, dude, fuck yeah, man. I, I had a fucking breakdown about it just last week. Like, honestly, personally, I, um, you know, I went to a lot of trouble. And, like, I know I'm not speaking for just myself. Like, I'm not the only one in this situation, you know. These mm. tours, these gigs, like, all this promotion, all this shit that goes into a tour, but it doesn't happen by itself. There's a lot of hard work and time and dedication. And when that shit gets thrown in the trash and you can't control it, it's completely out of your hands. It takes its toll on you, you know, mentally and physically. So I completely relate, dude. It's it's a fucking shit situation for everyone. So whilst people are stuck at home, though, wherever they are around the world, because there's a lot of places under lockdown at the moment, they can grab a hold of your album, Unleash the Rage. It'll be out via Grindhead Records on August 5th of this year, of course. And I, and I've, I was reading the album sorry, the song titles on the album, and my God. So just to give the listeners some perspective, the names of the tunes, Your Fucking Mate, Breathe In, Bleed Out, Wouldn't Even Piss On You. If there's a more Aussie song title than that one, please show me. Uh, the Cannibal Corpse Sounding Blowtorch Torture, Mad Dog Morgan, uh, Dead in a Hot Tin Shed is possibly my favourite one. It's a bit of a Wolf Creek thing going on there. Mate, how do you, how do you come up with these song titles? Because they're all tight. You, you just nailed so much of that, to be honest, and, and the vibe <laughs> we were trying to go for. So, um, <laughs> honestly, it's free mates drinking beers and sitting in a fucking shed talking shit and writing songs about what we think is kind of amusing or disturbing or whatever we're talking about at the time, you know. Um, when you said uh, wouldn't even piss on you have been the most Aussie thing ever, it's actually we wrote that about ScoMo when he fucked off overseas when the country was on fire, you know, and it's like, oh, well, yeah. we wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire, you can't. So um, mm. uh, Dead in the Hot Tin Shed, it's literally, you know, Wolf Creek vibes where it was sort of we sort of wrote that around those vibes. Like, um, yeah, we've... I won't go too much into it because we're talking about possibly making that our next film clip, which will describe exactly the um, content of the song. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, dude, you just nailed it. Sweet. Yeah, the other one that I missed was Body by the Billabong. Nice work. <laughs> it's all there, man. And I, I love this when Australian bands embrace their Australianness. 
because there's that, yeah. that weird cultural cringe thing that, that crept in in the 90s where people were like, no, you've got to be more British or American. It's like, no, you don't. Be honest. Nah, fucking Australia, mate. We put sauce in our pies when we drink BB, you know. Mm. Yeah, indeed, indeed, yes. Touche to anybody who thinks otherwise. But um, we talked about the upcoming tour, but... Let's just talk about the ambition of the tour. So it probably won't go ahead, and that's a very shitty thing. But for, for a brutal band, I mean, you're playing regional locations from what I could see. So obviously you're connected to Dicey. But do you get a lot of feedback um, from – Yeah. Are you not? A little bit. So, Sorry, so the tour doesn't – So the tour isn't happening because of the association with Dicey? You actually organised that separately? The tour? No, that was yeah. – um, I – do a small company called um, Fat Rat Promotion. So I've basically, I've had a little bit of experience doing tours before. So that was uh-huh. all, all me. Dicey um, is a fucking legend and he's our PR person at the moment. So he's sort of helping us promote our um, our stuff and he's showing it to the right people and putting a little bit of a spotlight on us. Hmm. Yeah, he does indeed. He has a tendency to do that. It's, he, uh, he's he's a, fucking good at what he does, dude. <laughs> he's probably the best for um, metal in Australia. And I mean, Soundwave, uh, sorry, Soundwave's touring is a credit to that. Mm. Oh, look at the bands he brings out when, when they could tour. I mean, you yeah. said it was a who's who of the extreme metal. Yeah, it's insane. He just must know everyone and have all the connections in the world, eh? Mm. I've done some crewing for him before. And it's interesting seeing him at work because I know, and you know this is not the bloody truth, mate, but you get these people who don't understand our business and think we're a bunch of goons that are looking at hussies and drinking beer. And it's bullshit. You work your asses off, don't you, to put a tour together and to keep the keep the show on the road. Like it is, man. There's so much work, so much time, so much dedication and, and crew, like... We're talking fucking 16 hours a day, like working your ass off. And then, you know, there's also the hussies and the drinking piss and having fun. Mm. Needs to be that. Got to be that stuff. Yeah. yeah, it has to be some kind of fucking reward, right? <laughs> mate, you got to be in it to win it. And if you're out on the road, mate, you're in it, so you're going to win it. There you go. Now, yeah. something that I've talked about a lot, only recently though, because I've got a personal interest in it, so I think fuck it, I'll talk about it. Is the social media side of things and your promotion of the promotion of the band on the social media front? It's a two prong question for you. Do you enjoy it? And do you have do you have like a, a rhythm or do you have a program or a strategy down pat that you just plug into? Um, no and no. No, you know what? I fucking love having feedback and I love it when I get to chat to people and, you know, and I I, I love hearing excitement from people about our our music and that we can um, come to a show and and knowing that I'm going to have a beer with that guy when I go to Adelaide or no, but I'm going to meet this guy when I go to the Gold Coast. Like, Hmm. but no, it's... um, it's almost a bit of a thankless task. It's it's fucking it's hard work to keep up a, a social media presence and um yeah and as for uh, scheduling things and stuff like that, not really. We try to put as much stuff on media as we can without annoying people and being one of those fucking bands that uh, you see four or five times a day pop up in your newsfeed. Mm. So yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I've Probably the worst person for social media ever. I'm, I'm really shit at it. So, 
What, yeah. what, de- what decade? What decade of your of your life here in your twenties or your thirties? I'm in my thirties. Okay, my theory is just because I graduated uni only a year ago, and I'm forty three. So I was literally double the age of everybody else there, and I majored in social media. So you can see where the interest comes right, from. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. But I got to tell you, I don't enjoy doing it because it's it just seems fake to me. It seems like you got to game the system, and you can buy likes and followers and comments. You can actually do all of this stuff on Fanoid. It's not hard. And when you look into, I wouldn't say the bands, but it's more the individuals and the influencers. It's all bullshit. It's totally all style man. and no substance. And for somebody like myself, and you wouldn't be too different to me, to plug into that and basically participate in that, you feel dirty. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, totally, man. And uh, I think if you if you look at particularly our band's um, social media, a lot of it is tongue-in-cheek and, you know, as I said before, like we're, we're a live band and we really want to get out there and, and fucking drink beers with people, you know, and um, social media is a bit, uh, it's, a, it's like an evil necessity now. You need to do it. It's the only way that people are going to actually hear your music in this day and age. So, um, yeah, I wish I was better at it, man, but uh, it is what it is. There's no straightforward way. The reason why I said, is there a strategy and do you plug into it? Because I, I've never come across somebody who has a straightforward way of saying, this is my, okay, I get you're not a brand, but you know what I'm saying. This is my yeah. brand as it's represented on social media. This is the system that I have in place. Boom, 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 boom. Let's go. The only thing <laughs> from my studies that I worked at, which is consistent across the board, is if you're not doing the most time-consuming things, which are reels and videos, you're basically reducing your audience share by about 80 or 90% because video is that right. powerful in this day and age. Yeah, so that's a good tip for you there is that if you're not doing reels, you're just not in it. And just as a bit of a test, I thought let's do some A-B testing. So I did, if you go to my Instagram page, I interviewed Kai Hansen from Gamma Ray and Halloween and I thought I'll just put up the regular picture of the podcast and people can click on the link and go to that. But then I'll do a reel. Mate, within an hour, I had fifteen hundred views of the reel. Yeah, it tells I, I get you, man. Yeah, you're right. Like um, for our very first ever thing that we ever actually put on social media, because we've only been a band together like in this um, in this circuit for about eighteen months, and uh, mm. we put a live clip of us literally jamming in the shed. This is very early stages of the band. Like we're using like not very good equipment. And we're just trying to work out our sound and like it was very, very early stages of um, discovering what we were we were about to. And uh, that fucking video we put up got like 20,000 views on Facebook and shit. And like it got shared around and there was people from all over the world commenting on it. And, you know, wow, what the fuck? I couldn't see a guitarist. What well, did you have a program or, you know, was it pre-recorded and all that bullshit? And, but yeah, so you're 100% right, and almost for the same reason, you know. Obviously, our tour is sort of in the in the fucking toilet right now. But mm. we're looking at uh, doing a live stream event in the next probably week or probably two weeks to um, coincide with our album release. So we're going to do pretty much like a live show straight from our our practice space. Like in that, it's literally in my mm. shed. We've got it like a little studio, and like we're down in the mountains, so it's in the bush. We don't piss off too many people. 
Mm. And um, we're going to do a, like a live stream event from from there. So hopefully we get a little bit of uh, attention. Hopefully we can show some people that we're a live band and we're not just fucking having a wank on a, on a fucking recording desk, you know. Mm. That's all. You, look, in your situation, there's literally nothing else you can do to prove to people that you are exactly what you are, which is a live band. Yeah, you have it's, no other choice. It's brutal because, like, even our album, man, like, we we didn't dub shit. Like, we didn't um, go over and, and edit. And, like, it's very raw to us. It's pretty much, you listen to that album, it, it's very much like us just fucking playing in our shed, you know. Like, it's, um, we tried to stay as true to ourselves as we possibly could. And, uh, yeah, so even in a situation where we have got a fucking studio at our fingertips, we still just want to be honest to the sound. We just mm-hmm. want to be, like, play our songs, how they should be heard, you know. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, yeah. And and the other thing is you've got a pretty strong merch game too. I'm a sucker for cassettes, I must say. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've got a cassette coming out with this one here. I love the idea. So was that your idea? Nah, uh, cassettes, <laughs> vinyl, at one point. There was going to be a, a VHS, you know. That's um, Grindhead oh, Records. Dude, do it. Do it. Oh, that's, dude, come on. With it you guys. It might just happen, dude. It might just happen. Oh, that would be so cool. The only band that I noticed, I don't know whether they do VHS, but doing something similar to you guys is, is Aborted. I've, in, I've interviewed this singer. Oh, I can't remember his, Andre, I think his name is a singer, yeah. But they released um, like popcorn holders and blankets and chairs, I think. What the and, fuck? That's some serious merch. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like that. And uh, I spoke to him about it and uh, he was like, yeah, we do something pretty, it's basically just being silly, but he goes, it actually works. Believe it or not, this shit sells out and it becomes collector's items amongst the extreme metal aficionados. I think I think yeah. Black Dahlia Murder do something similar these days as well. But um, I, I, cassettes are making a comeback. And you know why? It's because you, you, you're forced to listen to them. Like vinyl, but they're a bit more compact and they're not as likely to break. Yeah, totally, man. Like you can listen to it five times without scratching and, and missing every other beat. But, uh, mm. No, I can't take credit for any of that. Um, do you know Bubsy from Grindhead Records? No, but he's, he's someone, I think you're maybe the second or third band that I've had on or, or we've spoken about the label at least anyway. Yeah. So he's somebody I probably should have on just to have a chat, yeah. Dude, totally do that, man. He's a fucking cool guy. He's a legend. But... um. You know, he's been in the industry for a while. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what fucking sells. He knows what will make a few bucks. And which it's crazy because, you know, I've, I've fucking, this isn't my first interview. You know, I've fucking spoken to a few people now. And mm-hmm. I always say the same thing like, we're not here to sell albums. We don't give a fuck, man. Stream it on Spotify, watch it on YouTube. We're like, you know, we're not here to make money. We don't give a fuck about that. We just want people to listen to our music. And Bubsy will probably, you know, he's actually pretty cool, but he probably will drop me from the label after saying that. But I love you, Bubsy. <laughs> there you go. Just, just on that front, do you enjoy do you, do you enjoy the interviews? Yeah, man, this is cool. Like fucking, you know, I've had fucking I don't know half a dozen beers and just having a chat, and you know what I mean. It's pretty casual. Mm. That's the only way it works with this sort of stuff is to have a conversation and for it to be casual. If it's, yeah. I've listened to so many podcasts where it's a Qantas style situation where it's like, okay, next question. Which bands are you inspired and influenced by? And you're like, oh, for God's sakes, dude, like just make a comment. If, you, if, if you're there in the room with them, 
what band T-shirt are they wearing? Get them to these sort of topics, you know? It's generic, like, eh? Yeah, it's generic. And it's, you've got to, it doesn't expose the personality of the person, the interview subject, but it's really, as I say, it's never going to be interviews on my show. It's always conversations. And we talk about whatever we both want. So you can bring up anything you want to, and that's that's what I've, how I've always done it. And, you know, the, the mediocre of success that I've had with it, <laughs> I think it's come about through that. Yeah, man, it's a fucking, it's a good avenue, man. Like um, some of my favourite ones, and, you know, I'm not like uber, uber experienced at this kind of thing, but the couple that I've, or the few that I've done, like the most memorable ones are that casual, and it's just like having a chat and, you know, you're just mm. fucking having a chat to a mate. Where you know a lot of the magazine ones are more heaps like heaps more structured, and it's very like who influences you and you know what kind yeah. of gear do you use and or, and that kind of side of it. They're usually done. The interviews I find with the magazines because they are a commercial vehicle. They're done by people who don't really have any, any insight into the music. Like they're not a fan, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, probably just a journalist, like, at the end of the day, you know. It's it's interesting because I'm a journalist and I've worked for News, News Limited, but this is what my passion. And I park my journalist tendencies when I get on here. Now, I did try for probably for about two dozen interviews back in about 2019 or so. I tried to insert a lot of what would be traditional news media-style journalism into some of the conversations, but then I thought, fuck it. We're just having these conversations as we enjoy talking about music and, and you guys are a cool band. How good's that, man? And um, the same, like I was I was talking to my missus earlier, like, oh, you know, I'm a bit nervous about having this fucking chat tonight. She's like, why are you literally talking about your favourite thing you get to go and talk to people that want to hear about what you have to say about your band, about music? And it's my mm. passion, you know. It's what gets me out of bed in the day and makes me go to fucking work. I know on the weekend or on my day off, I'm going to get get with the boys and we're going to play some music and we're going to enjoy it. Mm. Playing from the Blue Mountains, I noticed in the uh, YouTube video, it's got a geolocation as the Blue Mountains. So when you said at the foot of the mountains, they're the Blue Mountains, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Freezing cold from what I remember, (laughs) from what I remember in winter. Well, yeah, it's fucking cold, bro. It snowed yesterday, literally. Um, Oh, God. Yeah, bro, it's fucked. You're in a singlet, man. Like, we've got the heater on. Like, it's warm in here, you know. But, um, I'll do it. It go down. It's funny because the New South Wales thing doesn't start until you hit about Coffs Harbour or so. And that's where it starts getting cold. What? No, it doesn't. It's still like fucking warm up there, man. It doesn't yeah, start. I, I know. Cold. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I know it doesn't start getting cold until you hit sort of Albury or some shit. I know, but you're you're sort of where where you are. It's a bit different, isn't it? You yeah, know, we're out uh, a little bit west, you know. But um, like we're we're literally in uh, Lifco, so we're sort of right at the ass end of the mountains and right before Bathurst. So we're we're sort of the crossroads between the Central West and the Blue Mountains. Did you grow up there in Lifco? Nah, I uh, I moved here as a, a teenager, but um. Scotty and Boydie are both uh, from the mountains. Like they, were, they were born and raised here. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It must be something in the air because they're two of the best cunts I've ever met. Nice. You find you find eventually where you're meant to live, I think, and it's very important to your psyche that you're living somewhere that matches your identity. Yeah, you know what? It, there's some places that uh, they help you find that identity and uh, Lifco sort of did that for me. I moved here. I was... 
like a, I wasn't like a 13 year old. I was like 19 or 18. And um, oh, shit. obviously I've lived everywhere else. I've sort of, I've spent a lot of time in Melbourne. I spent a lot of time in uh, Queensland all around the place. And uh, hmm. there's just nowhere like home. Like, I, I sort of spent the best years of my life here and it's it's like a magnet just drags you back. Yeah, so were you army? Was it so-called army brat, were you? Nah, not really. Just um, more of a gypsy brat, I'd say. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. I would have suited growing up in a family that had that gypsy outlook and different experiences, the tribal aspect of it, but then also being in different places to experience different things almost constantly. I love that idea. That's it's um, pretty cool. In a concept, it's pretty cool, but in a reality, it can be pretty, pretty rough too, like especially growing up and you'd constantly meeting new people and, you, you know, you have to learn to adjust to new environments and from a young age, like, it can be pretty harsh. I, I can imagine, yeah, that that's the most significant downside of it. I was, I was in a band with a bloke who was an army brat, he called himself that, and uh, he was completely dysfunctional and, and he even acknowledged it was probably because of how often he was moved around as a kid. Yeah, and, right. Uh, and, and in his view, not having enduring friendships make and he is socially like he doesn't think he's socially awkward but you've almost got to be careful around him after his eighth beer he becomes unhinged and i know i can no longer talk to him i had to kick him out of the band actually like that's um, brutal man yeah well he's but mate he's beating up his wife and oh, right and i was like and he was coming into rehearsal and he was telling me about the ways he was beating her up and i was like fuck man like what the hell like dead set yeah, totally. Yeah, that was happening. And I don't know, this is, might be a premiere on the podcast. I don't know whether I've, I might have shared what, like, you know, that I was in a band with a guy that used to beat up his wife, but not the reasons. But, yeah, the, he was just a fuck-up man. And then he's one of those guys who then took it out on everybody else because he got kicked out of the band and it was my fault and I was a cunt and all the usual shit that people send you text over text because they're too cowardly to pick up the phone and go, well, I'm not happy about this, but I understand or what have you, you know, whatever. But, you know, I don't even know what the hell the idiot's doing these days, mate, but I'm just glad he's out of my life, to be honest with you. And, and also he broke up with that chick, you know, so he's not with her anymore. Well, probably good for, for her, to be honest. Yeah, we, well, me, we were in a band that used to play all over the place, Toowoomba out west, you know, and um, no, he just he's just one of those sad cases who thought that he just, I don't know, he had a chip on it. You know, there's people that have got a chip on their shoulder. And you're like, why? What's the point? You know, we're playing music, dude, and we're getting paid for it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, for us, this is like living the life. So how about we just enjoy it and you don't be such an asshole? Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a cunt, man. That he is indeed. He probably still is. He probably <laughs> still is, mate. I mean, I wouldn't have a clue, you know. I'm one of those people, mate, where... If it gets to a point where it's all too hard, I've just got to move on. I've got kids and a family, mate. You know what I mean? There's only so many hours in the day I can dedicate my emotional energy toward things before I get, like, worn out with it and then I can sense that burnout creeping up and I'm like, ooh, move on, you know, that sort of thing. You know, when you're when you're busy working and playing music and podcasting and writing books like I am, mate, there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, I fucking I hear that, man. Yeah. You know? Mate, I meant to ask this earlier, so it's going to sound like an adjunct to uh, a question I should have asked because it basically is, but I love your artwork. Oh, thanks, dude. Yeah, it's pretty sick, eh? Yeah, yeah I mean, who, who takes care of that and 
Well, we sort of found this guy on uh, on Instagram and um, I looked at some of his work and, like, it just drew me in and I was like, this is, this is incredible. And I looked at some of the bands he's worked with, like Fire Arts, Murder and Cannibal Corpse and, like, this guy's worked with a lot of people, you know, like, if they know their shit. And um, I sort of approached him about if he was willing to do some custom art for us because we already sort of knew what we wanted and we had a good idea in mind. And um, so I should probably disclose that it's triple uh, six design. Uh, I think he worked out of South America and uh, Marco is the guy that we, we worked with directly and, man, we couldn't be happier. It was so good. Like, you know, he sent us a couple of edits and we, we sort of said, like, we're out in the bush, we're in the middle of, like, fucking Australia. Like, we kind of wanted to look like we're out in the middle of Australia, you know, like mm. we don't want the opera house in the background. We want it to be the, the Aussie fucking bush, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, he did a fucking great job and we couldn't be happier, man. And he's constantly just a fucking voice of support for us as well. He's always cheering us on and... I mean, that guy's worked with some big guys and for him to still kind of keep in touch with us, it's pretty humbling, you know. Man, I'm pretty sure I had somebody on recently because I do so many of these, I can't remember who it was, but mentioned that they did their artwork too and that was a North American death metal band. I remember yeah, right. that that bit. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure, dude, yeah, triple six. Yeah, it certainly came up and the South American thing is is ringing true. I, I find the person, like I've, my, my mate, my very good friend from Chile, but he lives here does all of my artwork. So there's a South American connection there. And when I was doing merch for the podcast, I was getting a guy in Indonesia to do it. Now, that wasn't because I was a snob about trying to use people overseas instead of Australians. I just found it was a better fit, to be honest. Totally, man. Yeah. Our um, our original logo, like we changed our logo pretty soon in, uh, but our original one was done by a bloke in Indonesia and it was fantastic. It was fucking sick, but it, it was... Um, it was one of those real death metal logos that looked like a bale of sticks. And if you didn't know what it said, you wouldn't. And we kind of wanted <laughs> it to be a little bit more understandable. You know, we wanted people to recognize yeah. it. So um, we ended up going in another direction, but I mean, the art was second to none. It was quality. Was your Indo mate Pepper Zar from uh, a race? Ah. Uh... Doesn't no. sound like it. No, no, that's who I ah. use actually, and he's just brilliant. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember, man. Like, I fucking it will come to me in five minutes, but yeah, it's off the top of my head. No, I can't remember. All good, mate. We'll wrap things up, but before I do, uh, and this is an important point, I always. I mean, we do what we can in these conversations in terms of raising interest and getting people to support you. Where can you – I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this because I've already been on your Bandcamp page, but um, where do people go where they can part their hard-earned, which, of course, is going to give you the best type of support? Right. To be honest, and, you know, COVID sort of fucked this up, to be honest, but um, I always say just come to a show and hang out and fucking buy a beer and, you know, what? we're not tight guns. We'll shout your beer back and we can have a chat. But in, in this sort of circumstance, um, yeah, you can buy our physical copies on on Bandcamp. Uh, you can buy our physical copies through um, Grindhead's Bandcamp. But uh, as I said earlier, the whole album is going to be streamed on um, 
all the platforms, you know. So don't don't go spending your hard-earned cash. Keep it in your pocket and just come to a show. Thanks for tuning into that conversation with Glenn Hurry from 12 Gauge Rampage. Before I let you go, though, I'm going to go on a bit of a monologue about two people that I've spoken to in my journey or along my journey, I should say, in my journey, along my journey, whatever, as an indie metal broadcaster and journalist. I'm talking about two people that we lost last week, today's date being Monday, the 2nd of August. The first one I'll talk about is Mike Howe, who was a singer in Metal Church. In addition to speaking to Mike for the podcast series, which is easily found, just go to scarsandguitars.net and search via the Wooshka widget. You can tune into that podcast episode. But I also met him. And that was something else altogether, because I don't meet too many of the people that I speak to over the phone for this pursuit, but um, I mentioned in an Instagram, let me read the Instagram post, actually, because it's probably the best way of summarizing how I felt about my cow, Metal Church, and the music the group conjured. So here I go. I met Mike in person once and I spoke to him over the phone, so this is a story about our very brief yet favourable interactions. My first introduction to Mike was during an interview on December 4th, 2018 for Metal Church's new album, Damned If You Do. Absolute cracker, that one. Mike was different from almost every other person that I'd spoken to on the podcast because he'd been away from the music biz for about 20-odd years. To me, he came across more like a pleasant co-worker that you just met for the first time. We hit it off and we had a chat that lasted around 20 minutes. We discussed the album, one of the best in Metal Church's career, and Mike made a point of saying how much fun he and the rest of the band were having. Fast forward over six months and Metal Church landed in Australia for their first ever tour of the Antipodes. I saw the band tear up a crowbar in Brisbane and my good mate John Howarth had very kindly organised for me to meet up with the lads after the show. I met Kurt first because we'd gotten along so well during our phoner, but then I caught up with Mike. The first thing Mike did was ensure that I had a beer. He wanted me to feel included with the band. That's the type of guy that he was. He asked me about the show and I couldn't help but say it was one of the best that I'd ever seen, and I meant it. Mike, Kurt and the band genuinely put on a no-bullshit, hard-out, heavy metal performance. I stayed around 45 minutes until a manager ushered the band to their hotel and onto another flight the next morning. But I did get to speak to each band member about all sorts of stuff, and I'll always remember Mike for his sincerity and hospitality. So there you have it. Best wishes to Mike and his family. When I talk about how cool it is to meet members of the bands that I've interviewed, Metal Church, they're front of mind. So, yeah, it's, it's something a bit different to hear of someone's death and I'm not going to say that I knew Mike because I didn't, but I met him and I'd spoken to him over the phone. So we had a brief connection and it was an extremely pleasant one. <coughs> Sorry. The other person is considered a titan of heavy metal, certainly as far as percussionists go. I'm talking about Joey Jordison. Now, he's well beyond standing at the gates of wherever it is we go to in the afterlife. He's well and truly on his way at this point, given he passed away well over a week ago. But news filtered through 
<coughs> Sorry, gosh, coughing. But anyway, I'll get on with it. Look, my single single opportunity to chat with Joe was due to Insanium's Australian shows. It was in the evening on a Monday, October 22nd, 2018, and it was one of those interviews scheduled just after a, a lecture at university. So I had to bolt from the class to the car and get my rig set up and tuned in and then be ready to receive the call. The scheduled time to talk to Joey came and went, and in my experience, if a call fails to happen within half an hour of the allocated time, it's not happening. I got ready to pack up, although instinct kicked in, and I thought if I'm going to start the long drive home, I might as well leave my rig set up so as I can receive the call if it does come through, because at the end of the day, how many opportunities will I get to talk to one of metal's most revered percussionists? Look, I started driving and around five minutes in, Skype's telltale bing bong starts and I think, shit, here he is. I answer, it's his publicist. And she asks if I'm good to go. I say, sure, why not? <laughs> and she introduces Joey to our chat. So look, I'm still driving and I've got to find a place to pull over so I can concentrate. The thing is, I was on one of those damn slip roads here on the Gold Coast next to the highway and it goes on for miles. Now, a few other choices I had to keep driving and conduct a conversation, a very stilted conversation, I might say, with Joey. <laughs> As I'm driving in near pitch black, trying to recall all the questions that I'd prepared. With keys jingling and the bumps in the road, very audible when I listen back to the conversation where he covered Sinsanium's Australian shows, Joey's thoughts on touring Australia, and what he recalls of that fateful night when he filled in for Lars Ulrich in Metallica. Look, we got about eight minutes into the chat and then it just cut out. The publicist tried to reach Joey, but she said it looks like he's offline. Apparently, it had been a recurring theme for her with him. Hard to get a hold of, hard to get him to stay on calls. It wasn't down to him not wanting to do it. Apparently, where he lives or where he was uh, making the calls from or was connected from was just a shithouse location for internet connectivity. I must say that Joey, look, he struck me as a very quiet and reserved figure that was very uncomfortable with the amount of attention that he received. My short and very sweet interaction with one of the world's greatest metal drummers is kind of weird, but it is still a cherished memory. They don't make them like those two, that's for sure. Very different characters, aren't they? Mike Howe from Metal Church, a great vocalist and one of the greatest metal drummers of all time, Joey Jordison, because look, I don't even like Slipknot at all, as a matter of fact. But his drumming is absolutely colossal and uh, I finally got to appreciate him when he teamed up with Fred Leclerc, the Frenchman in Sinsanum, for that album. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was my album of 2018. That's how good it was. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to me pay tribute to two fallen metal brethren. Hope I don't have to do it too too often, but it's a factor of fact of life, isn't it? Death. We all meet our maker at some point. And on that note, my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>